Now, we got another amazing uh, man for God that's coming up next, Pastor Nzunza. He was a senior pastor out in uh, uh, Hawaii for a long time. He and Pastor Ray grew up in the Lord under Pastor Rawl. And he was our assistant pastor here at Calvary Chapel. Chapel. Um, amazing man, has a heart for men's ministry. Pastor David, glad you're here. You know, I always say if you clap from somebody very quickly, you're ready to boom out of the stage right after that. So take it easy, take it easy. I want to thank you guys and for just coming out. And what a beautiful time. And Pastor Ray is such a wonderful man of God. And we've known each other for 30 years. Uh, we, I got saved with Raul in 1983. And uh, Ray said he got saved in 97. But he moved out here in 92. So it's just... Uh, we're getting old, and he's in his 50s now. But for you guys that are older, you keep us sharp. But it's, uh, our time with Pastor Ray has always been wonderful. We started in the ministry. I got into leadership in, in 1985 and started teaching the Bible. And Pastor Raw, Pastor Dale, I came out of the gangs, and they brought me in and just loved on me, just to started to disciple me. And, and we were all learning together. And then Pastor Ray came along and 30 years ago, and we started growing again. And there's an old story with uh, Pastor Romain. He was Pastor Chuck's assistant pastor. And when we were kids, uh, Dale wanted Romaine to meet us, Ray and I. And it was, this is something that's the uh, funniest thing ever happened. So, you know, you're still a young kid, and you still got a little bit of the thug in you. The, what is it, you take the kid out of the gutter, but gutter always seems to be in the kids sometimes. And so I'm in there, my collar flipped up. Yeah, yeah, what's up, you know, you know? So I go, hey, Dale walks up and Ray's there laughing. He knows what's going to go on. Dirty dog, where's he at, you know? So Romaine walks up and, and Dale says, hey, this is David and this is Ray. And so I go to shake uh, Pastor Ramon's, Romain, what's his name? You guys know I'm getting old. Romaine goes shake his hand. He looks at me. Boy, it sure takes a lot of pride to keep a collar flipped up like that. It was the funniest thing ever, man. He laughed and Dale, he hit me over the head and and that's the history of the way it was 30 years ago, you know, and I got to be rebuked by Romaine. But, you know, our time together has been exciting with Pastor Ray and myself. I moved him out here in 1992. And as soon as I moved him out here, I left for Hawaii and started at Calvary Chapel and was out there for a long time. But it's really neat how God has intertwined our relationships together, and that's what they are. You know, relationships with God start as men they don't start when you go out. You build relationships in your church. You meet your brothers. You start growing. You encourage each other. Ray and I, we would stay up late at night till 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and had to work the next day. But we had this fellowship. We would talk about God. We would hash things out, and we would speak about these, these things as kids. And it really brought that passion on us to continue to grow. And this is the same thing as this mindset, you guys, of finding men that are like-minded the way you are. You see, we have to give out to what God has given to us. We have to be able to find men that are like-minded, have that same heart. I knew going to Pastor Ray's house that, man, we were going to eat manudo all night. We were going to eat bad. Mantaka, our girlfriend, that's my first girlfriend. I want you to know Monteca. She's a very beautiful... You know what I'm saying? And so, because that's what it was. But that's what builds relationships as kids. Man, we were in our 20s, and now I'm 54 years old. And look how fast ministry and life 
I left here and I'm back with Rollendale again. I disciple the men. That's I do the pastors and the men. And I do a ministry that works with pastors outside of the church. Because the times that they live in, getting directed, and that's where our study will head to today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for my friend. I thank you for my brother. I thank you for a man that I was honored to have him as my pastor. I pray for Pastor Ray, you bless him, bless his wife, his children, his grandkids. I pray that you would continue to do such a great work in this beautiful community with these beautiful people. They're so dear, Father. And may you raise them up, may they be strengthened in you. And Father, for all of us as men, all of us that have gathered together, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would guide us and direct us. And Father, that you would speak to us through your word and we would recognize the time that we're living in. May you stir up those gifts within us. May we recognize our lives are, are, are like vapor. May we recognize the time that we're in. And may we look to be used, Father. May we recognize your church. May you bless your church. May you bless these men as they've driven so far away. Father, be with Bob Ortega. I got to see an old friend and do that great work in his life down there. All these men that are pastors, Mike, that's here from Estancia, bless him. And Father, how we thank you and praise you. And Father, bless Pastor Juan. Man, incredible, Father. His wife went into labor. May you just bless them with a the little baby and may they be strengthened and encouraged in you. We thank you, Father. We praise you. We thank you for this day in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys, how beautiful this is. My, my topic today is going to be on the life of the Apostle Paul. And literally his life is Paul's mind in the midst of the evil times. This is such an incredible book because the Bible has always taught that there's been an urgency to deal with the mind consistently through the scriptures. It's this mind up here. It is what we do with this that leads everything else. It takes us and guides us. It moves us in the direction that we need to go. The Bible has always taught we need to be men that are awake, men that are aware, and that we need to be men of the light. And especially when we can see that we are living in a wicked and an evil time today. Think about that. We live in a world that is trying to remove God from its presence. We live in a world that's trying to remove the absolute truths of God's word. How I always share and I teach in the college, when I teach wherever I go, it's always so important to understand the importance of the history of this word. It was taught over 5,800 times it's been quoted, the manuscripts that we have from the ancient Bible of the first and second century. 36,200 times the Bible had been quoted by the early church fathers. They already had the Bible compiled already by the second century to be moving in the direction. This Bible, as they're trying to teach you, didn't come out the way they say it did. Over hundreds of years and then Constantine put it together. That's a lie and a myth. But if we're not going to do the studies, if we're not going to prepare our minds, how we can be deceived. I don't need to read the Bible. It isn't true. I don't need to study it. It isn't absolute. Oh, it's absolute. The Bible is still the number one bestseller. The Bible still speaks for today. This is the word of God. God has chosen his word to communicate with man. And this is what we're going to study today. 
It's trying to remove the absolute truth of everything. Think about this. I was talking to some beautiful men that I respect dearly at lunch today. And I was saying, as Noah come in, this young man, we live in a society, you guys, we live in the first perfect society. Did you know that today? Why do we live in a perfect society? Because this is the first society, 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 it's everybody else's fault but mine. Nobody wants to take responsibility. I'm driving down drunk, what happens? It's their fault, they sold me the beer, it's this guy's fault, it's the government's fault. You know, the reason why I've gained so much weight because the government's putting terrible stuff in my food. You see, it's their fault. And so this is the way our society has become. So why do you need a God when it's everybody else's fault? Sorry about that. In Isaiah 5.20, we remember this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Think about that. This is what it's become. Oh, you teach God, you live for God, you live holy. What kind of person are you? Why aren't you a pervert? Why aren't you watching this? Why aren't you approving of those lifestyles that you should be? You know, it's radical. Last night, I'm sitting watching, listening to Pastor Raul teach last night. Wasn't that heavy? Man, I get that every Wednesday night, every Sunday morning we meet for leadership. He's just challenging. The guy's, a, a, he's not a machine. He's a man that loves God. 70 years old, that stud. He's a master at Kung Fu. But I'm listening to him teach the word last night. And these two, these people are sitting in front of me. And they're just going, yeah, they're frustrated with him, man. By the end of the study, their ears were attentive. The mind had been changed. This is what it is with us as men. When we look at the Apostle Paul, we see that even the Apostle Paul had a time of maturing. You, we know it in Galatians. He took off men. This was a time of training for about 13 years of discipline in his mind, moving himself forward. And as we see Paul maturing himself, he's maturing and preparing himself at such a time as this. The time that he lived in, the time that he was breathing. And you stop and think about this. This was a man that wouldn't be moved. Now, I'm not saying Paul was perfect. But what I'm saying is Paul was mature. What I'm saying that Paul knew his God. And Paul knew his calling. And these are the two things that God wants us to understand. Do you know your God? Do you know your calling? Do you know in the direction you're going? I think the worst thing as men as we can do after listening to these men teach this morning. Pastor Ray describing Daniel. Man, these men knew their God. Daniel said the man that knows his God will do great things, great exploits. Daniel eleven thirty two. These were the things of knowing who God is. And this was Paul. Listen what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, because we're going to get there. He said this in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to the gospel of the grace of God. A.W. Tozer said this about the, the apostle Paul. He said he called him the world's most successful Christian and surely Paul's moral and spiritual greatness is all the more evident the more he has studied 
and analyze. Isn't that something? Maybe you find yourself today fighting against God. Maybe you find yourself today not fighting against any force at all. Whatever's on, whatever the wind is, you're moved in that direction. Whatever the emotion is run by your feelings, your heart. The heart is deceitful and wicked, and who can trust it, the Bible says. You know what, I'll serve the Lord and I'll do anything for God, but don't you piss me off. I think I can say that, I, I can say that, where you know is what I meant. I wasn't, right? Don't say that. But you guys, don't make me mad. I did have it here. All right, forgive me, but that's what it's saying. Don't tell Rawls, okay. You see, maybe you don't have a direction in your life right now. There's an old saying about a sailor in a sail ship, in a boat. When you don't know where you're going, no wind is a good wind. And that's what it is with us. Where are you going? What direction are you going in? Where are you going with your wives today, your children? What direction do you want to take them? Are you just living for the moment? You see that? Ask yourself these questions. Are you tired of having defeat in your spiritual walk? Or do you focus your mind on your defeats? Do you focus your mind on your past? Do you focus your mind on your problems? These are the things we have to ask ourselves as men. I love what Pastor Dale says. He just spoke up here. Don't say nothing to him either. But he says this, listen, suffering and depression come when what we lost in the past becomes more important than what we have in our lives today. Think about that. When I look back at what I lost, when I look back what I thought I should have been, what is the drunkard today? The drunkard is the woulda, shoulda, coulda, I could have been a contender. The, the, uh, a lover, I can't remember, can't remember, but I don't even want to ask some of you guys. You, you know what I mean? The fighter, the lover, the should have been, the would have come. This is what it becomes in our lives. And so as Christians, we can do two things, one of two things. Number one, we can fo- focus, focus on the day we will die. Just dwell on that, that and become miserable. Dwell on how many years we have left. Or we can focus on the glory of God before the day we die. That's where we're at. Think about this. What kingdom are you building today? Yet, as we see the Apostle Paul, as we see of recognizing our lives and the focus and where we're going to go, one of the greatest things that we have, or four things that I have here, is that to know where we're going to go, and we're going to talk about that, you need to focus on the direction you're going to go with God today. You need to come to some conclusion. What will you do with this God? And number two, you're going to have to say and ask, is that are you wishing that you can do more for the kingdom of God? Is that a desire for you? Is that a passion for you as a man? Do you imagine getting a job and saying, you know what, I started in this position and I'm going to end in this position and I won't go any further anywhere else? Would it be a frustrating life? And this is the society we live in. When you look at our government today, 
You know, it's incredible. I, I meet some of you men that have fought in wars. You've served the Marine Corps, and God bless you, the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Reserves, whatever. You've, you've served our country, and if you fought in the Vietnam War, you fought in the wars, you fought the against communism, you fought against the socialism, socialism depresses people, and yet now today, we're voting for it in office. office. Isn't that the craziest thing you ever heard? You see, socialism is based on this. Socialism is based on an earthly utopia. This is what they want to do. This is what they want to promise you. And in promising you an earthly utopia, they take the spiritual away because they don't want to ever meet your spiritual needs, needs your physical needs. And this is what's being voted in the office. So don't work for nothing, we'll give it to you. Don't do nothing, we'll just set you up. This is what's going on in our society. And my uncle, my brothers in the Lord fought, shed their blood to fight to protect against, against. And here we are today, a society that has gone asleep. And that's the important part about having an urgency for the lost, an urgency for those that are dying. And this is what the study of the Apostle Paul is about. The world that Paul lived in was wicked and it was an evil world. J and D Kelly said this, even the world at that time, the word atheist was used against the Christians because they did not believe in the Roman and the Greek gods. Can you believe that? And yet, how do we, as Christians, how do we define evil today? And that's what I want you to understand. Stand is evil. Because it's not a ghost, you guys. It's not something, ooh, look behind your curtain. That's not evil. But this is how you define evil. Evil is not something that has an existence all its own. Rather, is it a corruption, corruption of that which already exists? Evil is the absence or lacking of something good. Rot in the tooth, for example, can exist as, as only as long as the cavity is there. Listen, tooth decay. These are the things that exist in the tooth. Rust on a car. The car is good. The rust is evil. And at the same time, evil exists as a corruption of something good. A child, children are born good but they become corrupted. What do we put in front of their faces? What are we putting on TV for them to watch? This is what the byproduct of it does. This is the mentality of our lives that whatever we're putting in our minds. Norman Geiser says this about, evil is like a wound in an arm, moth holes in a garment. Evil exists only in something or someone but never does evil exist in of itself. We look at evil today. We look at the mind of Paul and we look at which one we gotta choose. Understand this, if you start sinning, it doesn't stop until it beats you down, doesn't it? And that's the same thing with our walk with God. As we start our walk with God, where do we go? What do we do? As we start reading our Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we start to mature in this spiritual walk. We start to have this victory that God gives to us. And this is what we've seen from the Apostle Paul. This is the mind that he has given to us that we can have today. today. I love when I see the Apostle Paul. He always knew the time he was in. 
of the 13 of the 14 books that he writes to us, you guys, listen, listen. Every one of them give us a warning. Of the 26 books of the 27 books of the New Testament, each one of them has a warning for us. Are you recognizing the time you're in? Are you noticing what's going on? Only the epistle of Philemon has no warning. Can you believe that in the New Testament? And remember, we're talking about a point of time. We're talking about where Paul was at. It was at it. And that's where I want to take us to. Because it is where Paul was at, at the end of chapter 28 of Acts, he gets himself into prison. It talks about he's now in captivity. And literally, he writes these books from prison, four books from prison, and we know them. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. But it's incredible because Merle Tunney says this. When we look into the mind of Paul and in the time he was living, his mind was unmatched. But yet we see a definite change took place in the imprisonment of Paul. The man himself was different. Although he was unready to quit in the pursuit of his callings, his writings were now, were now focused on getting the most accomplished with the limited time that he had left. Isn't that something? When you go home today, I want you to read Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. I want you to read these three books. Six chapters, four chapters, four chapters, each one of them are. And they're phenomenal in the direction they're going to take us. He writes these four books from prison with a different approach and style. His view is of himself. Are we all right? I'm in a glass room or something. In this, from approach and style, his view of himself is now clearly evident in how he includes himself. And knowing now that his time is short and how important it is to have the right view, view ministry, the right view of a mature man of God and a right view of God. And as we see his epistles, we see them written in four ways. Listen, as he's writing to the Philippians, Church, he shows himself as one who has lived out what he has believed. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, according to my earnest expectation, he says, and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. He puts himself, I'm going to die. He puts himself, listen, my time is short. He would live no later than four years after he writes these books. Can you believe that? He was now recognized that time was against him. In Philemon, he describes himself as Paul the aged. He writes about himself as now wanting to be disqualified from the race that he was in in his service to God. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, it says this, Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but one receives the price? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Therefore I run this, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Least when I have preached the others, I myself should be disqualified. You see, Paul was writing... Lord, don't let me be disqualified. That should be the mindset of the man of God. To move forward, to protect our hearts. And number four, he says this, and Paul knows about the spiritual warfare, the servant and the minister. Listen, he says this, since we have this ministry, 
As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we renounce the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handing the word of God deceitfully, but with manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves and every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe least the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You see that? So my question today is, you guys, like Paul, do you still believe that we're in a spiritual warfare? Do you still believe the mind can be blinded? Do we look and see, you know what, and not with paranoia, but how much has Satan taken over? How much he's taken over the music? How much he's taken over the television? How much he's taken over the family unit? And so we see this spiritual battle because we can have this mind as the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul, he's given us three warnings. And I'm going to focus on three warnings and we're going to see these things to stand and to mature. And the first thing we see from Paul in these warnings that we can mature as Christians and that we can have victory in our Christian walk. Listen. We see the warnings from the epistles. If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians with me. Ephesians chapter 6. Because of time, we can't cover them all. But I'm going to hit one in each of the prison epistles. Number one, we see this warning. in the. We recognize, you guys, we have to recognize as Christians that we are in a spiritual battle. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. He says this, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the scrimmages of the wells, the attacks of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And what he's sharing with us, this enemy that we fight is spiritual it cannot be fought with muscles. It needs to be fought on our knees. It needs to be fought in the word. It needs to be what? Lord, I'm going to live for you. This is the way it is. The Bible says this. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he'll flee from you. We're always saying, hey, can you anoint my house with oil? You know, can you give me some heebie-jeebie? I'll put a cross on my light. I'll light some candles in the house. It doesn't do anything. You got to stop living like hell. And that's what it is. You've got to make a commitment. You know, I always say this, you guys. You want to serve the Lord and maybe your wife is nagging you. You want to serve the Lord and maybe your kids are gone crazy. Stop and think about this. Maybe it isn't your kids, but it's what's attacking them. And how much we need to just start praying with them and reading with them. Ministering to them every day. To be the servant in their homes. And then I want you to turn to Philippians with me. The next book. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We'll focus on those. Listen. And now in chapter 3 of Philippians. Verse 1. 
Brethren, he says this. Join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us as a pattern. For many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, Christ, whose end is destruction, who God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. You see what Paul was saying? This is the enemy of the cross. Someone tells you, you can find God by emotion. You can find God by feelings. You don't need to read. Don't get yourself lied to that all we have to do is put Christian music on and we're safe. Well, I feel saved today even though I'm living like hell. God says no. And this is what he's saying, this enemy that will come into your churches, that will come in and they're going to tell you just to feel God, just to some emotion. And God says no, it's every word of God. And we'll see that. And number three, the warning in Colossians. Listen. In chapter 2, turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And think about this, how he's writing from prison. He says this, Beware lest, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. This is the guy. Let me share with you my philosophy. Let me share with you what I think. And all of a sudden, they're deceiving you with these empty words to trick you, to trap you. And this is what Paul was saying. Listen to the television. Listen what they're saying. Think about this, man. Our, our, our president, these things have distorted that whites don't like blacks and blacks don't whites and Mexicans don't like anybody. No offense to you Mexicans. But we grew up with a mentality. I have no prejudice. I hate everybody the same. We know that. But my gosh. It is so sad that our police officers are suffering such abuse. And they're here to take care of us. And yet our society is so despite philosophy. See, when you take absolutes away from people, what happens to them? Anything is truth. That's where liberal theology, that's for another study. These debaters, they want to try to deceive you. These people that want to try to prove to you that God isn't real. But you study your word, you see. Even today, we've seen the warnings from Paul. Listen, and I want to share with you to understand Bible prophecy. Because that's always how much prophecy is in the Bible. Let me give you some statistics as men. Number one, we recognize there's 31,124 verses in the Bible. And of these, there's 23,210 verses in the Old Testament. Which contain 6,641 verses on prophecy. So that's 28% of the Old Testament, you guys, is prophecy. Think about that. About that. Of that, those 36,000 in the New Testament, of, of the New Testament, there's 7,914 verses in the New Testament. And of that, 1,711 of these verses contains prophecies. That's 20%, 21% New Testament are prophecies. So that's 27% of the book in front of your face. Over a quarter of your Bible today, my Bible, you guys, is prophecy. 
Can you believe that? It is the number one bestseller. This is a book that doesn't lie. This is a book that tells truth. This is a book that is absolute, absolute truth. It is literal truth. Well, wait a minute. What about the prophecies? Well, wait about what about the parables? Even the parables are literal parables. There's a fact to be proven, proven life to be lived. And this is what I'm saying to you. This is what Paul was teaching to you. Listen, Paul said this in prophecy in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 in Thessalonians. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourself know perfectly well that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Understand, it's because of this, least Satan should take advantage of us. We're not ignorant of his devices. You see that? We recognize the sign. We recognize. People are saying, well, what about it? Where's the rapture? Why isn't God coming back? Wait a sec. When you study Bible prophecy, it said one thing and one seed very clear. Prophecy is always concerning the Jews first. It's about the Jews, God's people. When you recognize the Jews weren't a nation for 1,900 years. Even Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 says, the Antichrist is revealed when, you guys? When, the, when does the tribulation start? When the peace treaty is signed. But he signs it with the Jews. Sacrifice starts. There has to be a temple. There has to be a Jerusalem. So you can read that in Daniel 9.27. The peace treaty is signed. There'll be a rapture of the church. There'll be a period of time. But when the peace treaty is signed, that's when the seven-year tribulation starts. You see, that's theologically sound. So when we see that there was no temple to sacrifice, but we see these things over 1,800 years. But on March 14th, 1948, what happens? Israel becomes a nation. But yet there was no temple until June 6, 1967, the Six-Day War. Israel takes over Jerusalem. Now you can build a temple. So when we see these prophetic things starting to happen, that's why, listen, Satan has been deceiving the people. And I have these ways that he's been doing it. Number one, five deceptions in the world today that we see from the Apostle Paul warning us. Listen, number one, the world is teaching world peace to us today. And yet it says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.3. For when they shall say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction and comes upon them like travail upon a woman and a child. They shall not escape. Number two. There'll be a one world monetary system. Think about this, how we have lived. And all of a sudden, remember, man, you would teach the book of Revelation. Pastor Ray and myself as kids teach it. And it didn't make any sense. But all of a sudden, you get a debit card. You get a credit card. Now you travel in the world. You don't even need to take money anymore. Just use your debit card, your credit card. There's even some crazy guy that's charging your card in Russia today, right? You ever had that happen? You know, they still, yeah, never mind. That's all right. But this is how crazy it is. Satan in Revelation 13, 16, and 17 will create a way to track everybody. Number three, and I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 9 because I want you to see this. this. We look at drug abuse today. My son sits in a prison because of drugs. He went to school, went to become a chef, got involved in chefing, cooking. 
He got caught up in the drugs. He sits in a prison in Florida today. Three years he got for stealing. So he sits in there. He's a good kid, but man, he put him in minimum security because he's the stupidest kid that Warden says because he's so nice, polite, but a drug addict. Listen what it says in Revelation 9. In verse 20, we'll go there. And think about prophecy. That's why I gave you the scriptures on that, that, that quote. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works in their hands that they should not worship demons, idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, wood, and, and stubble, whatever, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their perverties, what, their sexual immoralities, their sorceries. Sorcery from the Greek is pharmakia. It is a mind-deluding drug. Think about this. The Bible says in the end times, drug abuse will run rapid and it'll be run by the devil. You guys, look at our society. How many of us have had family members, partners, dead on the streets, dead drug abuse, abuse? This is Satan, what he's doing, you guys. First, second Timothy chapter three, three, these Christians, verses one through five, you can read it for yourself. It said that they would be men that would act like they're going to church, but they're disobedient to being to have a form of godliness, but denying his power. I don't want you to be a Christian only Sunday and live like hell, because then this prophecy is about you. It would be about me. And number five. That's because of this lifestyle, they're going to follow false teachers. They want to live like hell, and they're going to be deceived. And he speaks about these teachers will raise up, raise up for itching ears because they have itching ears. They just want to be entertained. Imagine if Pastor Ray comes up every Sunday and says, don't worry about life. We're all going to hell. Let's drink wine. Man, he's cursing you. He's cursing himself. But I love it. These men will come and they tell us truth every day. They want you to stand strong. They want you to have a blessed home, blessed workplace. They want you to do great things for God, you see. So when we see what God is going on, what's happening in the church, we see how Satan in 2 Corinthians 11 says this, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ and no even no marvel for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing of his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. You guys study your Bibles. So when you hear somebody teaching it falsely, you'll know the walk out of that church. You'll know not to be dis. Be dis I teach I teach genetics in the cults. I've been studying the cults for almost thirty years now, man. These crazy people, but they got so many holes. You can just, but you have to study. You have to know it. So these are the things. Don't get caught up in this world. How can I live this godly life? Keeping my eyes focused. Listen, the word caught up that he uses here, cares of this world, caught up, mean these are the things that will take my attention, my passion, my time, and which will take me away from spiritual things and my future with God and family. These are the things that distract me. Pastor Rawls says this, how can we say let the power of God fall over us when there is sin in our lives? Think about that. That's heavy. Man, I want to have a life that's pleasing to God. I want to have a life that's pleasing to my wife, my family. 
As Paul said, what's the use of preaching the gospel of the world and my wife perishes, my friends perish. That's the mentality we should have. So six blessings I have, and this is what I want you to understand as we see these books here. These things that Paul was writing to us, how we can have victory in our Christian walk. And this is what I want us to understand. Number one, turn to the book of Ephesians, or excuse me, Philippians. We're going to get these again. We're going to write them down. I pray you do. Six, six, six. Turn to, turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 8 through 11. And he says this. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with affection, with the, with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge, in all discernment. That you may approve of the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. This is what it's all about. That we would approve of the things that are excellent. That we would have a standard. Set a higher standard for yourself. You don't live a normal life. You're not ordinary people. But you can do great things for God. The choice is yours. The decision is yours. Don't be men that are robots. Don't be men that are cloned. But be men to look to do great things in your church. Church. Get plugged into your church. That's what we're going to talk about. Number C, have this integrity. The word integrity is incredible. It means singleness of mind. What's the opposite of integrity, you guys? Do you remember? Duplicity. Double-mindedness. You don't get anything from the Lord. You don't receive just everywhere. Singleness of mind. Men of integrity. All of us with one mind in the fear of the Lord. And that's all about. Number two, pray and read daily. Listen, in in turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. It says this. Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request known to God and the peace of God which surpass understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Prayer. How important is it that we get peace? This peace means what? Inward contentment, not based on outward circumstances. Peace. Not based on what we're doing or how we're doing it. And then eight and nine. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things of good report, if there's any virtue, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learn and receive, heard, saw me, these do, and the God of peace, peace with you. This is what it's all about. By praying daily, by reading daily. That's why I share with the guys everywhere I go. You have to read every day, you have to pray every day. That's what a theocracy is. I'm governed by God. I pray to speak to God. How God, how to speak to me, you guys, you guys, through his word. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter. That's why Pastor Rawl said it to us diligently. Are we reading every day? Are we seeking God? Get a daily pattern of reading. And last, because my time is up. Set my mind on the things above. 
My mind has to be on Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. You guys, these are the things that will give us victory. These are the things that will give us strength and boldness. I pray that you will do this. You'll be men of God, men of integrity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And I pray for these men. Fill them with your spirit. And Father, may they look to do great things. May they trust you. May they have hope in you. And Father, that you would use them mightily. May they get plugged into their churches. May they be used and look to be used. We thank you for this day. We thank you for Pastor Ray. Bless them always. We thank you, Father, always. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Don't even clap.